What is it that I, as a non-binary writer and reader, want most in my fiction? Respect. It's not that hard. I, I would like inclusion, representation, all of those things too, but at least a little respect. Because that literally costs you nothing. Absolutely nothing. So let's talk about my secret dream on this episode of Project Shadow. Hello everyone, how are you doing today? My name's Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset. And if you didn't know, yes, I am a non-binary femme. I am non-binary femme. I've never been quite sure exactly whether or not that gets an article or not. Because, you know, nouns, adjectives. It's a new phrase for me to be able to say. Not really all that new. It's been something I've been saying for a little while now. But, yeah... So I have resisted specifically going after JK Rowling this week too hard because, well, I think last time I, I said pretty much everything I needed to say about the issue. And if you, you want a full refutation of everything that she said, Jesse Gender did a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful video on her channel where she goes through Ms. Rowling's points one by one. And it, it's hurtful, it's hateful, and the thing is, I'm not even mad at her. I'm not. I, I know a lot of people are, but I'm not. Because as I've said in a couple of the episodes this week, I feel that hatred and bigotry are more of a cult than they are a an actual hatred. I feel like she's been brainwashed. I mean, you read her letter. And it reminds me of people that I've known that have gotten involved in cults and have been brainwashed just to ignore reality in favor of what the cult says. And all cults use abuse, trauma, and thoughts of victimization to get their people under control. And when they don't have enough, they inflict more so that they can control people better. Yeah. So I, you know, unlike a lot of people, I'm not really mad at her. I, I'm sad. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very sad because I think as writers, we have a duty to be respectful. If nothing else, we owe the world that because writing is empathy. It is. Now, I'm not saying that we have to be nice to our characters all the time and only good things can happen to them and everything has to come up sunshine, lollipops, and roses. Though I often write romance stories, so, you know, it often does come out sunshine, lollipops, and roses. But, you know, you can have dark stories. You can do bad things to characters. That's fine. But the actual process of writing is empathy. It's me having empathy for the characters that I write 
so that readers can have empathy for the characters that have been written. That's the power of writing. That, that is the pure power of writing. And I, I've been, thanks to uh, Laura Wrights, whose YouTube channel you should definitely be following if you're not, I have been reading um, Wired for Story. And that's one of the things that they that she brings up a lot in that book. I can't remember the name of the author right now, but who wrote Wired for Story. But it's something that gets brought up a lot. I mean, this is how story works. We have mirror neurons in our brains that fire when we, even when we read stories about other people. Writing is empathy. Reading is empathy. That's what it is. That's not sappiness. That's not anything else. It's just how our brains handle story. And if we're not at least respectful of the characters, then how can we write characters that will actually cause people to have feelings about them at all? You know, I understand where Rowling is coming from. I do. You know, I'm somebody, I was, you know, I've talked about this before. I was um, molested by a teacher when I was a kid. Um, and I didn't tell anyone at all. Nobody knew. And, you know, I, I've been the victim of sexual violence a couple times in my life. And it is hard to express to people who haven't been through it exactly how traumatizing that can be. Um, to this day, I, I can't stand anybody touching anywhere near my neck, for example. Like, I've had people just, like, walk up behind me and, like, to give me a shoulder rub because, you know, friends do that. And had it completely cause a breakdown because even all these years later, because, you know, it's been 20 some years, you know, I, I still have issues. And I don't want to lessen the trauma that she's been through. But trauma makes you do things for self-preservation that you wouldn't do when you're clear thinking. You know, from my own experience, I can see that. I know I've done some things that I am not proud of and that I regret in my life when I was younger because I was acting out of that place of trauma, out of that place of victimhood. And I was looking for ways to protect myself and others, and I said and did things that hurt people. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to justify her opinions. I vehemently, <laughs> vehemently disagree and disavow everything that she believes. But I can see how she got there. Because her goal is clear. She wants to protect women. And as such, she's willing to listen to the most strident voices that she can find that she believes share that goal. And that's how she got there. All of us have a tendency to make that mistake. You can see it after the 9-11 where an entire country was duped 
into invading Iraq because we were vulnerable and hurting and looking for something to lash out at. And we were willing to take flimsy evidence. It's not, wasn't it? There, we know now that all the evidence was fake, but at the time, some people were convinced by the arguments that were put forth. And today, we tend to look back on all of that and feel that it was wrong. And I don't know, I, I have hopes that one day she will as well. But more than anything, what I want is empathy. It doesn't do anyone any good to yell and scream. And we do it all the time. All of us, for every single reason. I feel like that's what her essay was. That was her yelling and screaming into the darkness. Because we all feel frustrated and trapped right now. We all feel like we have lost control of our lives because we have. There's a pandemic racing around the world. My country is on the path to having 200,000 people dead from it. Sorry, that just hurts to say, much less even think about or contemplate. And it feels like we've lost control. And especially for those of us who have been in situations where we didn't have control and bad things happened, it takes us to a very dark place. So what is the solution? What, what, what am I actually asking for? One, you know, I, I've said my angry things at Joe, and I've tried to say them in a way that I thought was rational and calm. And whether or not they were or not, she referred to all of it collectively as mobs. And yes, yeah, some people said horrible things. But we just have to be better. I mean, there's, there's no other thing to do right now. Do we throw away our books? Do we stop watching the movies? Do we get rid of all of the Harry Potter stuff we have in the house? Well, honestly, that's up to you. You see, I have a long history of being able to not compartmentalize, but understand the problematic nature of writers and having a relationship with their work despite it. Gene Roddenberry, who created Star Trek, was a womanizer. He talked a good talk, but if you've ever watched Trek Nation or any of the work that Rod Roddenberry did to try to get to understand his father better, he was far from perfect. Does that change my feelings about Star Trek? No. It does alter my feelings about him, Gene Roddenberry, but I still think he created something masterful. You see, if we are going to cancel all fiction that was written by problematic people, then that's the majority of fiction. <laughs> I mean, it just is. We, we can argue about certain figures of history 
such as Shakespeare, who wrote, for example, Merchant of Venice after basically watching the lynching of a Jewish man and being, from the text of the play, revolted by it. But does that mean he wasn't racist? Does that mean that he wasn't sexist? People have all manner of ideas. And they do. And we can't censor our history because of it. We can't. We just can't. Um, that doesn't mean that we have to celebrate it. That doesn't mean that we have to take joy in it. But we have to be careful about how we actually approach these things. Was H.P. Lovecraft a bigot who really didn't like anybody who wasn't British? Because he was far more than just like a white supremacist. Like he was an Anglophile. He was a British supremacist. Everybody who wasn't British was a little bit less to him and some a lot more. He was also quite misogynistic, which from having read his own autobiography, I tend to believe it was because of his uh, latent homosexuality that he suppressed and he took his lack of attraction for female, for women to be a hatred of women so that he could justify it to himself because he lived in a very homophobic age. Again, not trying to justify his feelings, but it really, to me, feels like that's where he was coming from. Um, and I don't know if his autobiography has actually been published. Um, it was a portrait of a non-entity is the name of it. And I actually got to read a copy with his handwritten notes on it when I was in Providence studying him for a while. But yeah, so I don't celebrate the racist ideas that he had, but he had an interesting turn of phrase and he created an entire genre of horror and we can't ignore that. We can't pretend it didn't happen. We can't pretend it didn't exist. All fiction comes from problematic sources, all of it. Every little bit of it. And while I think we should hold ourselves to higher standards, that we have to learn to be empathetic. If we're going to be a writer, we have a responsibility to try to be empathetic, to understand people, and not, as best as we can, be on the wrong side of history. But at the same time, we can't ignore the history that we come from. There are a lot of people that want to ban Huckleberry Finn for its use of the N-word. Well, according to Twain, the use of the N-word was important to him because he wanted to drive the point home. He wanted people to see it and hear it and realize what they were doing in using it. There's a purpose to it. We may not agree with the purpose to it, but he had one. And that's the discussion we should have. Harry Potter is not transphobic. It has some weird homophobic tendencies to it. And that's only because of a horrible analogy that she did between AIDS and werewolfism and you know, lycanthropy. 
And we just need to learn as writers to stop using animal analogs for human anything. Just stop. It doesn't work at all. Almost ever. Jack Saint actually has some really good videos up about that where he goes through and talks about that because it's not, it's not analogous. The analogy breaks. And so, yeah, I, I, I take her at her word that that wasn't intended, especially since she also makes one of the characters very obviously one of the villains, very obviously pedophilic. And of course he's spreading his lycanthropy to children. Yeah, that that's, it's all problematic, but it, it adds to the horror. And that was the point of it. But the books themselves are not transphobic unless she goes back and edits them to make them. So now her books, oddly enough, teach a lesson about how to not judge people based on how they were born, how not to judge people for artificial categories. And just because she hasn't learned that lesson doesn't mean that we should throw the books out. Our unconscious minds know a lot more about the things than we do sometimes. But more than anything, I want writers and readers to learn to have respect and empathy. Because at the end of the day, the biggest problem is that I am told over and over again that I would have a bigger career if I didn't write so many LGBT characters. And that's true. Because cis heterosexual people don't often read stories about gay characters. But that's also true when it comes to white people reading stories with black protagonists. Or men reading stories with female protagonists. It's a problem that we have that we don't go to stories to see stories about people that are different from us. We don't allow ourselves to have that empathy for people who aren't like us. So while I want to see representation, while I want representation to grow, while I think diversity is a very important thing, and I love reading stories with queer protagonists, I grew up having to read stories virtually exclusively that had people that weren't like me. In fact, the vast majority of the stories that I read are about people that aren't like me, even when they're white, because I'm not heterosexual. I'm not cisgendered. That is a foreign land with foreign thoughts that I don't belong in. I really want people to get out of their comfort zones, not just for my sake, but for all of our sakes. Writing is empathy. Writing and reading are the closest thing that we humans have to telepathy. I have thoughts in my head. I put them on paper. Those thoughts live through the paper and pop off the paper and go into somebody else's head. Where, of course, they're met differently than they were in mine. But I'm still able to translate that over. And that's magic. 
We need to be empathetic. It's not a bad word. And it doesn't, just because you have empathy for someone doesn't mean that you condone them. I think that's where we got lost in this country and completely messed up everything. You can have empathy for a horrible character. Just to go back to J.K. Rowling's work, I have a lot of empathy for Lord Voldemort. I do. And whenever I would get to those final pages where Harry was pleading with him because he knew that his sacrifice had done for the school what his mother's sacrifice had done for him, he's pleading with Voldemort not to throw his life away. I feel that pain. I can see all of the little cracks that made him who he was. And I want him to make the right decision. Even that villain I can have empathy for. I don't condone anything that he did. Empathy is being able to get into the shoes of someone else and for a moment feel their pain. It's what writing is about. It's what reading is about. It's what a good movie is about. A TV show. And we just need to learn to be empathetic towards people that are different from us. Because I think that's the start. That's how we begin to make things better. Because once we can empathize, once we can feel their pain and see where they're coming from, we might know how to talk to them and bring them over to our side. Just saying. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It's a bit more somber than I intended. I actually thought when I outlined it that I was just going to get up on my high horse and shout from the rooftops, but that's obviously not what happened. If you have any questions, comments, or topics that you'd like to hear on the show, down in the show notes you'll find a link to the voice message system. Keep it short, keep it clean. I would love to hear from you. You can also hit me up on Twitter and Instagram. I'm C.E. Dorset on both. And you can find links to everything that I do over at projectshadow.com. Oh, my. If you've got a dollar that you can pass my way down in the show notes, you'll find a link to both of the listener support and my Patreon. Thank you to everybody who does that. It means the world to me. And if you don't have any money right now or you don't feel like giving, that's perfectly all right. But please share whatever it is I do that you like with people that you think will like it, because that helps out more than you know. Alrighty. Hopefully next week, even if the world is on fire, I'll be able to find some happier things to talk about, because I know I need a break. I think you might too. So over the weekend, let me know (laughs) if you have any ideas, because that would be helpful. Anywho, until next time, stay well, stay safe. And don't forget to have the fun. Bye.